The reading this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, says Paul, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in the flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, too, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. If you exclude someone, you deny them access to a place or a group, or some kind of privilege. It's a matter of labelling someone as an outsider, telling them they don't belong. Drawing the boundaries around the in-group in such a way as to leave certain people on the outside and making sure they know that they are not accepted. And to be shut out in that kind of way is a demoralising experience. In his letters and papers from prison, Dietrich Bonhoeffer rightly said that there is hardly anything that can make one happier than to feel that one counts for something with other people. What matters here is not numbers, but intensity. In the long run, human relationships are the most important things in life. Loneliness is our response to emotional social isolation. It's an emotional response. And it's been said that our society is suffering from an epidemic of loneliness. 49% of people in the southeast have admitted to suffering from varying degrees of loneliness. And I would love to be able to say that the church is the answer to that. But in reality, 
Statistics seem to just suggest that loneliness is more common among people who practice religion. That doesn't look like good news for the church, or for those who belong to the church. And it's not clear why religious people might feel lonelier. You can prove anything with statistics. It may be, actually, that lonely people turn to faith organisations for support. In which case, is the church failing to meet their need? Or is it that the case is making a positive difference in that they are less lonely than they otherwise would be, but they still have occasions when they feel lonely? It may be significant that lots of people are saying they are more lonely now than they were ten years ago. That also might influence the figures. Given that a significant proportion of people who go to church are older, and inevitably those who are older are more likely to have suffered bereavement and therefore be vulnerable to feelings of loneliness, that might be a factor as well. Writing for The Guardian, Marianne McGilvery describes herself as having a convivial job in a publishing company with sociable and fun colleagues, and yet she says the problem isn't not knowing people in the present. It's knowing too many people from the past who aren't around anymore. Finding yourself at home, alone, with only 30 followers on Twitter, four of them the same person, a silent phone, Nobody you care to call must mean something's wrong with you. You're unpopular, friendless, abandoned, alone, lonely. You don't have to live alone to feel lonely, though. It can be far harder, actually, to know that there is a friendship group to which you could belong, but from which, for one reason or another, you have been excluded. And that hurts because it's not the result of circumstances, it's personal. Dr Judith Sills analysed her feelings of being left out when she wasn't invited to a friend's New Year's Eve party. And she concluded that exclusion is part of life in any group. Human beings are pack animals, and it's in the nature of the pack to create cohesiveness by establishing a common enemy. That's why countries pull together during wartime. That's why little girls spend so many hours of a sleepover ripping apart the classmate who didn't get invited. In the politics of my friendship group, she says, it was simply my turn. Exclusion is part of life in any group. But it shouldn't be part of life in the church. If the tendency to act as pack animals is part of human nature. This thing might be bound to happen all the time, but if it's part of human nature, it is part of fallen human nature. And it is incumbent upon us as followers of Jesus Christ to be different. Exclusion should have no place within the church. Theologian Peter Selby observes, the church is the first fruit of God's longing. Its life together, therefore, doesn't depend on excluding people in groups, but on a witness to the constant, inclusive activity of a God whose concern extends to a sparrow that falls on the ground. There's the challenge. We are to be witnesses to the constantly inclusive activity of God. That means within the church there can be no outsiders. No second-class citizens. No one we put down. No one who doesn't matter. 
No one who is excluded. That's the thrust of Paul's words in the second half of Ephesians 2. He refers to the massive social barrier that existed in the ancient world between Jew and Gentile and to the hostility there was between the two groups. And the big issue for the church was wrestling with the reality of being a demonstrable witness to the reconciling love and power of God. By saying outside the church, we might have been enemies. But inside the church, we belong together, Jews and Gentiles, as brothers and sisters in the family of Christ. The church is the family from which no one is excluded. The family within which all are embraced, without exception, within the inclusive love of God. You don't have to scratch far beneath the surface of Ephesians 2 to see the antipathy and mistrust that naturally existed in society between these two groups of Jews and Gentiles. For Jews, circumcision was a sign of belonging to God and his people. The foreskin of the penis surgically removed from baby boys when they were eight days old was a sign of impurity and alienation from God. And their contempt for non-Jews was expressed in their willingness to refer to them as foreskins. It's not a particularly pleasant nickname, but that's the literal translation of the fairly innocuous term uncircumcision that we find in our English translations, foreskins. For Jews, Gentiles were outsiders. They didn't belong to God, they didn't belong to God's people. They were unclean, they were sinful. Social contact with, with them was avoided and strict Jews would never, ever eat with Gentiles. They saw the Jewish law as, as an unbroken fence of stakes, an iron wall behind which they were safe, behind which they were righteous and beyond which, beyond the pale, were sinful, unclean Gentile outsiders. One of the biggest issues the early church had to contend with was, is it really okay for Jewish people and Gentile people to share a meal together? That sounds bizarre to us, but it was a major issue for them. The thing you never did as a law-observant Jew was share food with a Gentile. In the church, was it really okay to bridge that barrier? Really okay to cross that social divide? But if Paul's letter to the Galatians is about anything, it's about Paul's insistences. Yes, if you are put right with Christ by faith, and if you are put right with Christ by faith, that needs to find expression in your willingness to share food from the same table. Otherwise, one of you is saying to the other, you don't really belong. You're a second-class citizen. That's why he doesn't hesitate to say in Ephesians here that Christ in his death has broken down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law with its commandments and its regulations. All those things which made Jewish people feel secure, superior, members of the in-group, are stripped away in Christ. In Christ they meet Gentiles as their equals. There could be a danger on the opposite side that Gentile believers would be dismissive of, of Jews. Because Jewish Christians had quibbles over things like keeping the Sabbath and being bothered about unclean food and aversion to any kind of contact with idolatry. And given that Israel as a nation was by and large not turning to Christ, it was easy to, to write Jewish believers off as being weak, hidebound, has-beens. Not so, says Paul. In Christ, as Gentile believers, formerly outsiders, 
you have been included within the remnant of Israel. You haven't taken anybody's place. You have been included alongside them within the people of God. You are fellow citizens and members of God's household. So embrace them and accept them as fellow believers with you in Christ. Christ came to bring peace to those of you who used to be far away. He came to bring peace to those of you who were near. He came to bring peace to everybody without exception. To make those who were two now one. And it is a privilege for anybody to belong to God's holy people by grace and grace alone. When we talk about ending a long-standing feud, we sometimes use the phrase, it's time to bury the hatchet. For Paul, the place where the hatchet was buried was in the cross of Christ, in the death of Jesus for us. Jesus died carrying the hatchet of enmity. Not just between Jew and Gentile, but the enmity between all people groups. The enmity and hostility between individuals. Jesus died so that that hatchet should be buried in the cross on which he was crucified. It's so the cross that he puts to death our hostility. To reconcile everybody together to God in one body. One body where everybody belongs. One body from which no one is excluded. One body which in its unity bears witness to the accepting, reconciling, healing love of God. That's the gospel demonstrated in practice. For Paul, the divisions that were set up between people, labelling some as insiders and others as outsiders, these divisions belong to unregenerate humanity, a state of being that he consistently refers to by the evocative term flesh. So Gentiles were Gentiles in the flesh. It talks about by birth in the NIV, but the word he uses in the flesh. Jews were circumcised in the flesh. It was a mark made in the body. In the body is what the NIV says, but it's the same term, in the flesh. Outsiders in the flesh, circumcised in the flesh, yet Christ came in the flesh to die on the cross to abolish all such distinctions, all such enmity, all such disunity. His resurrection inaugurates a new reality which brings those who were former enemies in the flesh together in one spirit so that together we all have access to God as our common father. So that together we are built into a temple which has Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. The stone that joins those bits together as a unity. A temple in which God lives by his spirit. Together all of us. Every single one of us. No exceptions, no outsiders. We're all being built into the temple where God makes his home. You find your place by believing and trusting that Christ accepts you and welcomes you into his body. As indeed he does when we reach out to him in faith. And the challenge to the church in a society where so many people feel excluded and marginalised and left out, the challenge to the church is the tangible expression of God's welcome to everybody. In a society marred by an epidemic of loneliness and isolation, the church is to be the place where anybody finds welcome, acceptance, love, forgiveness, 
and a sense of belonging. If I'm honest, we still have a long way to go. You still find bits of prejudice, suspicion knocking around in dark corners, old hurts that need to be healed. It's not always easy to bridge the gap between young and old, those who sit upstairs, those who sit downstairs, preferences for different worship styles, significant cultural and social barriers. These things bubble up from time to time in the life of any church. There are still people in Brighton Road who struggle with loneliness. Yet Paul sets before us a vision of how church ought to be. And though we still have a long way to go, we have confidence that God is building his church. And we are all the raw materials he's using to accomplish that. Ephesians 2 gives us a blueprint for how he wants it to be and how in his sovereign and gracious purpose it will be. We are the people, we are the people who express God's love for everyone. God's forgiveness of everyone. God's welcome to everyone. No matter where they come from, no matter what they've done. We worship and belong to the God who welcomes you and invites you to come to him. It's good news for every single one of us here. No exceptions. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, there is no one in this world for whom you did not die. There is no one in this world who is beyond the scope of your forgiveness. There is no one in this world who is excluded from your love. Help us to demonstrate that, not just by the message that we preach, but by the welcome that we give and the love that we share. Lord, some of us here this morning feel lonely. Pour out your love into our hearts and in your goodness may we find that human contact that will ease our feelings of loneliness. Some of us here carry hurts from the past, things that have been said and done to us even within the church. Lord, pour out your healing into our lives. Give us the grace to find forgiveness, to forgive and be forgiven. Lord, continue to build your church so that we might be the tangible demonstration of the inclusive love of God. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.